In Exodus chapter 25, Moses goes up on Mount Sinai. He enters into a cloud to meet with the Lord. He has spent a period of six days just outside of this uh, cloud. And on the seventh day, the Lord calls him into the cloud. And he goes into this cloud to meet with the Lord. And he will spend the next 40 days and 40 nights there. And as he's in there, uh, speaking with the Lord, fellowshipping with the Lord, the Lord gives him instructions, a pattern for this place called the tabernacle. Now we find in chapter 25 that the Lord tells him, I want you to, to take up a contribution. We are going to gather some resources, material to build this structure because I want to dwell among my people. He tells them, my heart's desire is to be with, uh, with you in the midst of you, but we need to take up this contribution in order to build this structure. And like all uh, people who have spent time playing with Legos, we pretty much always start with the walls, right? That's kind of the way that we would naturally think about it. But that's not where the Lord starts. The Lord doesn't start with the, uh, the uh, infrastructure. He starts with the most important piece. And we find in chapter 25 that the first thing that he instructs them on is uh, how to build the ark. And this, of course, is the Ark of the Covenant that will hold the Ten Commandments. And later we find uh, in the other books that it will hold uh, some manna. It will hold uh, Aaron's rod that is budded. Uh, some other things we find out about later. But this Ark, we're told, is uh, to be made uh, in a specific manner. It's to have a uh, lid called the mercy seat and then these cherubim on top facing each other. And there it's in that spot uh, a above the cherubim, where God's presence will meet with Israel. Now, we saw last week that the point of God starting here is because he's starting with the most important item. He's starting with the most important thing. It's where his presence will dwell, in that specific spot. He doesn't start with the walls. He doesn't start with the um, framework and the infrastructure. He starts from the inside out helping them to orient their hearts and their minds around the important fact that he, they will meet with him in that place. And it's through the Ark of the Covenant that he reveals the way for them to relate to him through sacrifice as they sprinkle blood upon the mercy seat for atonement, uh, allowing them to come into the presence of a holy God and to uh, make sacrifice for the nation. And so the Lord starts off with this very specific um, item, the Ark of the Covenant. And then in chapter 25, he gives them instructions for the table of showbread and then the golden lampstand. Now, he started with the, the uh, innermost uh, pieces of furniture in the innermost room. But now we get to, in chapter 26, instructions for the tabernacle. So what is the tabernacle? The tabernacle is the place where God will dwell in the midst of Israel. It is a tent the tent. And because this is where God is setting forth this pattern, he's giving instructions for his people to build this in a specific way, this tent, this dwelling place, it reveals God's character. And we'll see primarily the thing that it reveals is his holiness. The, temp, or the tabernacle was, uh, it was separated into specific uh, areas. There, are, there is an outer court, and then there is the smaller uh, building that is, it's not really a building, the smaller tent that's in the middle. 
The outer court is simply uh, kind of a long linen fence that uh, lines the, this rectangular structure. And then in the middle, um, almost exactly to scale, there is a, uh, another structure. And this is kind of one of the things that we're going to look at this morning. The, the tent. And in that tent, there were uh, two rooms. There is the uh, holy place, which is one room was called. And then the second place was called the most holy place or the holy of holies. So these are the two. And so we start in chapter 26, verse 1, God telling Moses now, here's how to actually make this tent. Now, you may have read through this before. You may have come to this, but we're going to stop and we're going to look at a couple quick things. But there are some things we're just going to, we're going to blaze through because we don't need to like know about every specific, like, here's the exact hardness of this wood. We're not going to nerd out to that level. But we're going to look at uh, some of the insight that the Lord gives us as we come to uh, the description of the tabernacle. So we read in verse 1, the Lord speaks to Moses and he says, Moreover, you shall make the tabernacle with ten curtains of fine uh, twined linen and blue and purple and scarlet yarns. You shall make them with cherubim skillfully worked into them. The length of each curtain shall be 28 cubits, and the breadth of each curtain, four cubits. All the curtains shall be the same size. Five curtains <clears throat> shall be coupled to one another, and the other five curtains shall be coupled to one another. And you shall make loops of blue on the edge of the outermost curtain in the first set. Likewise, you shall make loops on the edge of the outermost curtain in the second set. Fifty loops you shall make on the one curtain, and fifty loops you shall make on the edge of the curtain that is in the second set. The loops shall be opposite one another, and you shall make fifty clasps of gold and couple the curtains one to the other with the clasps so that the tabernacle may be a single whole. All right, so what's going on here? Because like we have absolutely no idea. Um, there's a lot of description about loops and clasps and curtains and like all this crazy stuff. Now, most, the, the, the language that the Lord uses to describe this to Moses, he keeps saying, build this after the pattern that I've shown you. He's not only saying uh, that this is to be done in a specific way, but most, most commentators, most scholars believe that what God actually did was like give him like a 3D model there, like kind of like this like, Luke Skywalker like hologram sort of thing where like the he's like getting to zoom in and like flip this thing around and be like okay I see what you mean there when you're like these clasps here's what's supposed to be happening uh, a lot of commentators believe that the Lord provided this model for him to see because there's a lot of room for interpretation and wiggle in terms of like well like how are these things exactly supposed to go together and the Lord keeps reiterating like do it after this pattern here it is reference the model is kind of what he's saying and so that's how kind of Moses has a little bit more insight, because when we come to this, we're like, I don't really know how that's supposed to go down. Uh, and this is exactly why, you know, it'd be really helpful if you wanted to come visit the tabernacle experience with us, because you could see what they think it's like. Uh, and so we find here, this instructions for this curtain, there's an outer cover and curtains, and that's what we're about to look at. This was the innermost layer of the tabernacle. It was uh, made of 10 curtains of fabric. The curtains, I'm going to do the conversion for you, were about six feet by 42 feet. And they were sewn together in groups of five to make two huge curtains. And they were connected together, linked together by 50 clasps of gold. And then they're also told that they are to uh, make into this linen 
use yarn, this, this wool, and they are to use blue, purple, and scarlet. And we looked at some of these, um, how these colors were made uh, a, a couple weeks ago. But these colors are significant. Blue is a color that would represent the heavenly realm. Purple, of course, represents royalty. Uh, and then scarlet, representing the blood. The blood that would be uh, spilt in the sacrifices, in the atonement. But also, it calls in our mind to the blood that would be shed from our king, our savior, who would spill his blood on our behalf. And so, who is from heaven, our Savior is God. He is a king. He is royalty, and he spills his own blood. And so we kind of see this foreshadowing of what Christ will accomplish, even in these colors. And so the walls and the ceiling of this structure were uh, a set of linen curtains that were, um, were stretched out. And we're told that, you sh- uh, that Moses is to have them make cherubim skillfully worked into them. Now, I like a couple things about this. I like that the Lord's specifically calling out people who have skills, like no hacks on this job. You can't fake it until you make it with this one. You've got to know what you're doing, and you've got to show up and do it right. I love that. He calls out the best. He's wanting the best people to do this job. And so they are to, to insert these cherubim. And cherubim are angels. If they're a class of angels... And these angels are the ones who we see in the heavenly description that are uh, often guarding God's uh, heavenly throne. They are there uh, flying around the throne, protecting uh, in, that, in that space, worshiping. And the point of these angels all throughout the curtains that were weaved in were to remind the people, remind the people of Israel of the heavenly realm. It was meant to anchor their thoughts in our God is a heavenly God. And remember, the Lord said, build this after my pattern. And the, and the way that this whole thing is structured is to be structured after uh, the heavenly realm. And so as the priests would go in, as they would enter into uh, the, this tabernacle, and they would walk in and they would be looking at the ceiling and they would be looking at the walls and seeing these cherubim there, it would remind them that the work that they do is before the Lord. It, and, and for us, this is a good reminder to us that although we do not enter into a tabernacle as God's people, the work that we do is before our God. The same work that they did was unto him, but our work, whatever field you're in, whatever God has called you to, the thing that you are setting uh, your specific skill set to, your talent, your abilities, your focus, that work that you're doing is not for your own glory, but for God's. He is watching. He is looking. And so the way that we should operate is as with that mindset that God is watching. He is aware. In the book of Colossians, Paul encourages them to uh, work heartily. With their whole heart is what he's saying. Not half-hearted. Not like doing the bare minimum. But work heartily. As for the Lord and not for men. Because let's be realistic. When we work for men, it's like, well, they don't really care that much anyway. So like, just do the bare minimum. Or like, they don't really care about that, so I don't really need to care about that. 
But when we work for the Lord, every detail matters. Everything that we do matters. Everything, every bit of work that we put into it is for his glory. Every single bit of effort that we put into the calling that we have on our lives in our school career, our, academic, uh, our, our job, vocation, whatever it is that you're called to, whatever it is that the Lord has you in whatever season of life you're in, you are there to serve the Lord in that, and he is watching. And so you kind of have to ask yourself, do you do all things unto him? Do you work heartily unto him and not for men? Now, in verse 7, we find the outer covering. We're told, you shall make curtains of goat hair for a tent over the tabernacle. Eleven curtains shall you make. The length of each curtain shall be 30 cubits, and the breadth of each curtain, four cubits. The eleven curtains shall be the same size. You shall couple five curtains by themselves and six curtains by themselves. And the sixth curtain you shall double over at the front of the tent. So that one's a little bit long, so you kind of like fold it back um, to kind of make like this little uh, entrance loop thing. Verse 11, you shall make... uh, Oh, sorry, verse 10. You shall make 50 loops on the edge of the curtain that is the outermost in one set and 50 loops on the edge of the curtain that is outermost in the second set. You shall make 50 clasps of bronze and put the clasps into the loops and couple the tent together that it may be a single whole. And the part that remains uh, of the curtain of the tent, the half curtain that remains shall hang over the back of the tabernacle. And the extra that remains in the length of the curtain, the cubit on one side and the cubit on the other side shall hang over the sides of the tabernacle on this side and that side to cover it. And you shall make for the tent a covering of tanned ramskins and a covering of goat skins on top. So this is the outer covering. And so there's kind of a place where the flap is open on the front to where it's doubled over and it can be shut. And on the back, we're told, and on the sides, there's going to be a place where it hangs over a little bit. And this is kind of... Uh, you know, like the, the idea when, pe- when uh, like people are on the red carpet and they have their dress that's like, tr- like a huge train and it's trailing out. This is kind of like what the idea is. It's, it's um, hitting the ground and kind of being pushed out to the side on the back uh, and on, on the sides with that extra bit of fabric. But one of the things I also want you to notice here is as it gets further and further away from the Holy of Holies, now the clasps on here are made of bronze. They're not gold anymore. They're, the metal is decreasing in value. The further you get away from the Lord, there is this decrease in value. The bronze would be more common in that time. It wouldn't be something as noteworthy, and this was an outer covering. And so they're trying to, the, what, what the Lord's trying to do is to indicate the increasing uh, value inside shows up as you get nearer to his presence. And so uh, they make this, they're to make this um, outer covering. We're told that this should be made of uh, goat's hair, tanned ramskins. This would be something that would have to be waterproof. It was made of 11 curtains and six feet by 44 feet. And the linen that was on the, uh, on the inside structure would be covered in a layer of wool, which was this, um, with the cherubim weaved into it. And then it was covered with two protective layers of animal skins, the rams, uh, the goat skin and the tanned ram skins. And so the Lord is giving these instructions, but as an outsider, those who, who worked outside of the tabernacle, 
Their only glimpse of this would be the tanned ramskins. They would see the goatskins. And what this would remind them of is that there had to be uh, blood shed for this to be made, for, them, for, the, for the priest to have a relationship with the Lord where they could enter in. They would look upon and see the animal skins. And they would see that uh, there had to be these animals sacrificed in order to build this. It reminded them that blood had to be shed so they could have fellowship with God. And what this would remind them of is the seriousness of sin, of God's holiness and their sinful state. And, and I think for us, that's something that we need to remember because oftentimes we can tend to downplay the seriousness of sin. We can tend to downplay, you know, when we sin, it's like, oh, it's not that big of a deal. You know, it's like, oh, we can, we can fix it up real quickly. This is something that we tend to put specific weight on because of our society. You know, if you are going 10 miles an hour over the speed limit, you get a ticket for a certain amount. But if you're going 50 miles an hour over the speed limit, you get like another ticket and you get like your license taken away. There's an increase in penalty. And so we tend to treat sin similarly in this way. When we sin, whether it's a sin of commission, that is we do something that we are not supposed to do, or it's a sin of omission, we don't do what we're supposed to do. We are disobedient to what God has told us to do. Whether it's either of those sins, no matter how big or how small, the, the price for that sin remains the same. Someone had to die. There's no increase in value. It's, oh, that one wasn't that big of a deal. No one had to pay for that one. The smallest sin and the largest sin are all the same. And Christ had to die so that we could have fellowship with the Lord. And so when we sin, commission, omission, we fool ourselves into thinking, that, oh, we fell into sin. We just, I don't know how I ended up here. Whatever it is, when we sin, we have to take it seriously. There's opportunity, there's grace that the Lord provides. He's made a way for us to have fellowship with him once more. Now we come to verse 15 and we look at the frame. In verse 15, we're told, You shall make upright frames for the tabernacle of acacia wood. Ten cubits shall be the length of each frame, and a cubit and a half the breadth of each frame. There shall be two tenons in each frame for fitting together. You shall do for all the, uh, so shall you do for all the frames of the tabernacle. You shall make the frames for the tabernacle, 20 frames on the south side, and 40 bases of silver you shall make under the 20 frames. Two bases under one frame for its two tenons, and two bases under the next frame for its two tenons. And for the second side of the tabernacle on the north side, 20 frames, and their, and their 40 bases of silver. Two bases under one frame, and two bases under the next. And for the rear of the tabernacle westward, you shall make six frames. And you shall make two frames for the corners of the tabernacle in the rear. They shall be separate beneath, but joined at the top at the first ring. Thus it shall be with both of them. They shall form the two corners and there shall be eight frames with their bases of silver, 16 bases, two bases under one frame and two bases under another frame. You shall make bars of acacia wood 
five for the frames of one side of the tabernacle and five bars for the frames of the other side of the tabernacle and five bars for the frames of the side of the tabernacle at the rear westward. The middle bar halfway up the frame shall run from end to end. You shall overlay the frames with gold and make their rings of, uh, make their rings of gold for holders for the bars and you shall overlay the bars with gold. Then you shall erect the tabernacle according to the plan for it that you were shown on the mountain. So now we find that they are to build a frame. Right? right now we just have a bunch of curtains, and here's the frame. This is going to be a strong frame that needed to be, a, it was something that was essential because it had to stand up one to the weight of all this fabric that was to be all these layers had to rest upon it. And it also had to stand up to the elements, the wind, rain, and so this frame is made from acacia wood, like all, the inch, all, all of the uh, things that have been prescribed so far. A strong wood, insect resistant. And there's almost 50 wooden columns here. They would be covered in gold. And then they would be anchored in bases that are made of silver. And we're told um, they're about, uh, the silver weighed about 100, 100 talents, and one talent equals 75 pounds, and so this was about 7,500 pounds of silver that was used to, uh, in, in the bases for this, uh, for, the, for the anchor, the foundation for these bars to rest in. And then we find that there's a middle bar for stability that goes across, a crossbar, and this would be covered in gold as well. And then the curtain would be fr- uh, draped over the entire framework. It would be uh, put in these various layers and would be um, kind of pegged down so that way it wasn't going to uh, blow away or let anything, let anybody have access into it quickly. It, when you think about this, um, in your mind, don't have the picture of like a circus tent. There wasn't like a pointy part in the middle. It was more like flat there and then kind of uh, sloped edges. That's kind of what we're looking at. So we find the frame. Now we look at Two more curtains we find in verse 30. The first we find in verse 36. Look at verse 36 with me. Here's the first curtain. You shall make a screen for the entrance of the tent of blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twilled linen, or fine twines, not twilled, twined linen, embroidered with needlework. And you shall make for the five screen five pillars of acacia and overlay them with gold. Their hooks shall be of gold and you shall cast five bases of bronze for them. So here again, there's the bronze. Uh, this is the entrance. God tells Moses how to make this flap that covers the doorway. This is the place where man enters into the tabernacle, and it's the specific type of, of uh, screen that we're told he's to make. It's a, it's a curtain that would kind of protect the way in. Now, I want you to note here, there's going to be some two differences here. Uh, in the types of curtains that are being, they're being told to make. The first one, and, and you might have, um, in your Bible, you might have a little bit of a translation difference, but we're trying to, we'll look at the original words to give you some insight. The first word we find in verse 36 is, is a screen. This word in the, the root word means covering. This is a covering, it's a curtain. It also comes from the root word for the, uh, for the word defense. This is a protective uh, curtain, a protective screen. 
And this screen, what it did was it prevented those from outside of the tabernacle from entering the tabernacle, but it also prevented people from the outside from seeing inside and catching a glimpse of the veil that led to the Holy of Holies. So they couldn't even see into the most holy place because this screen would block the way. It protected them from going into that spot. This is the first curtain that they're told to make. Now, the second one we find, the second curtain we find in verse 31, the veil. We read, You shall make a veil of blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen. It shall be made with cherubim skillfully worked into it. And you shall hang it on four pillars of acacia, overlaid with gold, with hooks of gold, on four bases of silver. And you shall hang the veil from the clasps and bring the ark of the testimony in there within the veil. And the veil shall separate for you the holy place from the most holy. You shall put the mercy seat on the ark of the testimony in the most holy place. And you shall set the table outside the veil and the lampstand on the south side of the tabernacle opposite the table and you shall put the table on the north side so once Moses knew how to make the main tent once he had the the entrance screen entrance dialed in God told him what to put inside where to put the furniture but the main thing that he tells him is about the veil the second curtain The veil was to separate the two spaces, making two rooms. The uh, Holy of Holies, or the most holy place, would contain the Ark of the Covenant. And then the holy place, which is just outside of that, uh, the second room, uh, if if we're looking at it as a target, the the Ark of the Covenant is like the bullseye in the middle. And then as you go outside of that, the next ring is the most holy place. Or, or sorry, the holy place, where the showbread, the altar of incense, which we haven't talked about yet, the lampstand uh, would be there. So this is defining these two, uh, these two kind of rooms. And they're told to make this veil, again, with the same uh, colors, same yarn, blue, purple, scarlet yarns, fine twined linen, with cherubim skillfully worked into it. We're told that the veil shall separate the purpose of it. The main uh, objective of this veil is to separate the holy place from the most holy place. What this did was it acted as a barrier so that people who came into the holy place could not see into or have access to the most holy place, the holy of holies. The children of Israel would see that the tabernacle was now in their midst. As this is being built, as it's being made, the God who rescues and saves them out of Egypt now dwells in their midst in a tabernacle. It would be so exciting to have the presence of God among them, but yet they did not have access to Him. They themselves couldn't even enter in to the tabernacle. Only the priests could go into the tabernacle. But even as they entered the tabernacle, 
even as the priests made their way into the tabernacle, as they made it past that screen of defense, as they made it past that covering, they were immediately confronted with a second curtain. They immediately came to another roadblock, a barrier. The veil that would separate the Holy of Holies from the holy place. Now this veil, gives a, we get a little bit more info on this veil through Jewish history. We find that it was about four inches thick, and it took more than a hundred priests to move it. So when they were like going to travel, this was like serious moving. They had to get everybody on board to pack this thing up and go on the, on the move. A massive curtain. And into this curtain, into this barrier that the priest would be confronted with would be the design that God had prescribed for them to work into it. The cherubim. Now, we've seen that this reminds us of the heavenly realm. It's the purpose of the, of the cherubim. They are around God's throne, protecting it. But yet, as they try to approach the Lord to have fellowship with him, they're confronted at the veil with the cherubim. And of course, for God's people, this would echo back in their minds to the book of Genesis, to God's original time where he had fellowship with mankind. They were to have free access to him as Adam and Eve walked with him in the garden. But yet, upon their sin, they're cast out of the garden, their fellowship is broken with God, and God puts in that place, in the way blocking access and fellowship to him, cherubim with a flaming sword. And so, for not only did this represent the, the heavenly realm to the people of God, but it also reminded them that they do not have access, and if they come near, then the, the cherubim are there with that flaming sword to strike them down. The separated man from God. Now, as we come to the instruction for this, we see that even the word veil... There, we saw that there are, these are two curtains, and one is described as a screen, and maybe in your Bible, they're both called curtains. Uh, it could be, an, uh, depending upon what translation you have, it could be a number of things. But even the word veil here, the root of this word is very interesting. Uh, if you look at where this word comes from, here are the words that are associated with the word veil. Crush, grind, grate away, harsh, and violence. Like, that sounds nothing like a warm, cozy home. Harsh, crush, grind, grade away, violence. This is where the word veil is, finds its roots. Far different from defense and covering. And so as they came to this, let's say, as they spoke, as they came to this veil, they're being told, like, this thing separates you from God. Their violence will happen if you try to come past this. But there had to be a way to enter because the purpose was for them to come in and to meet with God. And so they would do this through sacrifice. They would take this, uh, they, they would make 
atonement. The high priest, once a year, would make atonement for his sin. He would sacrifice an animal, and he would take the blood in with him, and he would approach the Ark of the Covenant with the blood, going, passing through the veil of these goats, of bulls. And he would sprinkle the blood upon the altar. And then he would exit after making atonement for his sin. And he would repeat the sacrifice again, but for the entire nation of Israel. This was the only way that you could enter in to or go past the veil. God's presence dwelt in the tabernacle, but the only way that you could have access to him was through his blood. Now, the Lord knows what he's doing here. He keeps reminding his people, build this after the pattern that I've shown you. Because for for his people, this would be something that would echo in their minds at a later date. When Christ comes and dwells among them, they would look back and see, this is what the Lord was doing through the tabernacle. In fact, we read in John chapter 1, When he describes Christ's incarnation, God becoming a man, he describes it this way. The word Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. and We have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. You see what he does there? He says, the word became flesh and he dwelt among us. That same word is the word tabernacle. Dwelt is the same word for tabernacle. They share that same root. What he's saying here is Jesus comes down to dwell with us. Jesus Christ is the ultimate and true tabernacle. He will be the spot where God comes from heaven to earth to meet with man. And the New Testament writers connected the dots. They knew what was happening. They see this. They understand that the tabernacle is Christ coming and dwelling among us, but they also understand that his job is to make atonement. If you look in Hebrews chapter uh, 10, verse 19, we read this. The writer of Hebrews writes, We have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain. That is through his flesh. See, what, he's, what the writer of Hebrews is saying is that this veil ultimately points to Christ. It's where Jesus was upon the cross, paying for the sins of the world, making that sacrifice. And he cries out with his last breath, it is finished. And then we're told at that moment, the veil in the temple is torn in two. It's ripped from top to bottom. There's a complete tearing. It's not like, oh, something like partially happened. It's a complete shredding of this harsh, violent curtain. This thing was de- that was designed to be a barrier is destroyed by the ultimate payment of sin. And you can imagine... I, I, how like crazy it must have been for the priest to come in and be like, oh, so what do we do now? Because this is super weird. Like we can see the Ark of the Covenant and we're not supposed to see that. To, to enter in and just have their minds blown like, what do we do? Like all of a sudden, 
we're all in here and we're all looking at this thing and we're not dead. Like, what's happening? It had to be just a mind-blowing experience. What the Lord is communicating through this tearing of the veil is demonstrating that the way to fellowship with him is open for all, for all who would come through the blood of Christ. Can enter into the Holy of Holies, not with our own righteousness, but with the righteousness of Christ. Because he has paid the price. He has made the way for man to have fellowship with God. And it's amazing because the, the, the place, the curtain was designed, that veil was designed to be harsh and violent. But not only do we now have access to God, but then God invites us to be a part of his family. And then he calls us his children. So it's not just that we're invited in and we're not killed and we're just strangers. But now we get to be in his household. We get to be his kids and enjoy the benefits of having a good and kind father. This was a revolutionary act. An act demonstrating that the way was open. In fact, when you, when you look at uh, the book of Acts, in chapter 2, the church explodes for the first time as Peter gets up to proclaim the gospel. And as people are putting the pieces together and they're looking at, oh, here's what God meant when he made a covenant, what he was doing. Showing us that there was going to be a new covenant that he would keep. Here's what God meant when he designed the tabernacle and all the reasons why it was going to happen and the sacrifices. They all point to Jesus. Later in, in, uh, in Acts 6, we find that the word of God continues to increase. It grows. The number of disciples multiply in Jerusalem. And what are we told? A great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Those who had access to the Ark of the Covenant who had access to enter in, they were affected by the veil being torn. They didn't go away just being like, that was weird. We better make a new one. They saw what God was doing and they responded. And friends, that's what the Lord is calling us to do this morning. Not to just sit there on our hands and be like, hey, like, that was a weird thing that happened but to decide that he's offered us a way to have a relationship with him and now to press into him, to know him more and more because he has made that way open. See, the tabernacle is a pattern, but that pattern ultimately points to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Let's pray together. Lord, we're thankful for your faithfulness to us. We're thankful that you've given us your only son. <clears throat> We're thankful that you shed your blood so that we might have new life. We're thankful that you were faithful, Lord, when we were not faithful. We're thankful, Lord, that you died for our sin. Lord, even the smallest sin. The bitterness that resides in our hearts the selfishness. We're thankful, Lord, that you have paid the price 
for the lies that we've told that we didn't think harmed anybody. But Lord, they were not in keeping with your character, a God in whom there is no lie. We're thankful, Lord, you've paid the price for those small sins, Lord, and you've paid the price for the largest sin. Every act of violence, every attack upon your name, every sin against our body or others' bodies. Lord, you have made a way for us to have new life in you. And we're thankful that we can find that covering in the blood of Jesus. We're thankful that the veil is torn, and now when you look upon us, you see Jesus' perfect life in our place. And so, Lord, we want to celebrate this morning. We want to say thank you. And, Lord, we pray that you would cause us now to respond in worship. Lord, we want to be like those priests. Lord, and not go away unchanged, but, Lord, we want to, to think upon what you've done, and now we want to respond in worship. And so, Lord, move our hearts to respond in thanksgiving and gratitude and worship. We love you. Amen.